The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Now, President Zelensky, Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine, has said that the Allies are, quote, finally providing the weapons that Ukraine asked for. He thanked Kiev's partners, who he says finally heard Ukraine's request for arms. And he said those arms will save the lives of thousands and show Russia the day they will be forced to leave Ukraine is approaching. That may help them militarily. It doesn't help them with the humanitarian crisis and, of course, the refugee crisis, which is spreading across Ukraine, across neighbouring countries and across all of Europe and particularly to Ireland. Um, And you notice, uh, you may have seen the coverage during the week, that much of what we thought was in place to support Ukrainian refugees coming to this country may not be as reliable as we once assumed. The Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, being a a case in point, she was originally going to offer a room in her house uh, to house refugees and is now saying that she realises that it may be impractical to give somebody uh, housing in rural Mead if they're miles from any of the supports that uh, they may need. She's not alone. Reports indicating that possibly 50% of the housing that was offered, that was pledged to uh, be available for Ukrainian refugees is either unsuitable or has been withdrawn. With me is Hugh O'Connell, political correspondent with the Irish Independent. Hugh, this is all adding up to something of a scramble to solve the problem on the government's part. Yeah, good morning, Anton. Um, it is. Uh, this is obviously something that uh, the government might not have expected when 24,000 people pledged uh, their um, uh, their homes, their their vacant homes in some cases, or rooms in their homes to uh, take in Ukrainian refugees when this war began. I don't think there was an expectation that half of them would not follow through, either because they couldn't be contacted or because they've actually just decided that it's not, it's not uh, something that they want to do. Um, so the government is now looking at ways in which it can, I, I guess, incentivize, uh, maybe not isn't the right word, but I mean, that, that is basically what it is, incentivize people to to house a Ukrainian refugee. So an amount of up to 400 euro a month could be paid out to households who, who take in refugees to take account primarily of the extra costs that would arise from do, doing this. Uh, you know, the utility bills would go up, grocery bills will go up and, and so on and so forth. So. That this payment would be aimed at at, um, at 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 meeting those costs or meeting part of those costs. Um, and you, does that solve the the catalyst for the problem that they now face? Do they do they genuinely believe that the reason that thirteen thousand homes have become unavailable or thirteen thousand people have removed their pledges for whatever reason is because they can't afford it? Um, I don't. I don't think that necessarily. I mean, I don't think they believe that. But I, but I, I mean, I think there's probably a variety of reasons for it, Anton. I mean, I think some people just have have thought about it a bit more and thought that it's probably not, you know, possibly not right for them that they take in someone. I mean, we, as you mentioned there in your intro, Helen McEntee this week saying that she kind of considered the issue and actually she lives in a very remote location. Would it be ideal for a person to be living in her house in, in a very remote area, not able to access them? Um, local amenities and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, various households up and down the country are having conversations about whether or not it's the right thing to do. And some of them are coming to the conclusion that it isn't. And part of that as well, I would imagine, is the, is the, the rising cost of living. And they're just looking at their household bills and saying, well, can I really afford to take in someone else who's going to be using more, um, you know, more electricity, more gas, more uh, just, you know, using using up more, I suppose, and spending more money within the house. So that's a consideration I think a lot of people have have, um, have been mulling over the last few weeks as this war has progressed and as more and more refugees have arrived. Um, 
and equally as well, you know, I think the government has, has now reached a point where uh, accommodation in hotels and B&Bs and guest houses is, is stretched um, to the point where people are now being uh, sent to uh, dormitory style accommodation, camp beds in community centres, sports halls. We saw people going into Mill Street uh, in Cork this week. So I think all of that is contributing towards a, a kind of a rethink as to what to do here. And part of that is, you know, well, can we do something for houses that accommodate refugees? And that's what's what's on the table now being considered by the government. Which would be a relatively easy solution if we had an overabundance of houses knocking around that the government mm. could just simply purchase and say, well, there's available housing for you. But this comes in the middle of a pre-existing housing crisis where there weren't enough houses for the people who were already here. So... What exactly is the government going to be able to purchase to house refugees? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a story in the um, in in the Irish Examiner today, which says that local authorities are going to be given greater emergency powers to buy homes to to house refugees, and this is basically um, powers existing powers that councils have to purchase up to two hundred homes for families at risk of homelessness are going to be expanded. Um, it's, it's an expanded acquisition program, according to the paper. Don't have a huge amount of detail on what it will what it will involve exactly. But I mean, like Anton, notwithstanding the fact there is a housing shortage, there is an awful lot of vacant homes up and down the country. Um, you know, uh, properties that have got, fallen into disrepair, uh, that that haven't been used, that could be turned into housing. And this is something which has been part of the, the whole debate about housing over the last um, 10 years now at this stage. And I think really this this huge influx of people, we've had 25, 24, 25,000 uh, refugees arrive into the country in the last six, seven weeks is prompting the sort of action at, at, at a government level that perhaps um, they haven't considered up to now. I mean, we could debate the rights and wrongs of that, but that is ultimately the case, that the fact that the population has increased by 25,000 over the last six weeks has prompted the sort of uh, emergency action that we haven't had uh, hitherto uh, addressing with a, a crisis that's been ongoing for 10, 15 years. Although whenever that debate does kick off you, that the kind of things that get said about the vacant housing around the country is it may be encumbered in terms of um, disputed ownership. There yeah. may be pre-existing debt on it and therefore it's difficult to refinance to complete if it needs mm-hmm. building work done on it. It may be that mm-hmm. the local authorities haven't taken it in charge and therefore there aren't services available. All of which tends to mire that kind of one-off or small development vacant ha- vacant housing in huge quagmires of problems to get it released. Is there a legislative way that you can just slice through all that? Uh, I, I don't know is the honest answer, but I mean, I think what, what you know what we've seen in response to the pandemic over the last two years is the government considering and doing things that were unthinkable. I mean, I mean, take the housing issue for example, uh, a freeze on rents that was in place during. Um, during the, the several lockdowns, three lockdowns that we had over the last two years, uh, we had a, a ban on evictions, all sorts of unprecedented things that we were told that were legally and constitutionally impossible became possible when when a, a, a killer pandemic hit. So I, I think, again, that that sort of thinking is being applied to responding to what is an unprecedented influx of uh, refugees brought about by a war on the edge of them. Um, on the edge of Eastern Europe. So I think that that's, that's kind of prompting the sort of thinking within government that, um, that we haven't had to date. And I think that's why you know, you're seeing these sort of proposals now being brought forward by Dara O'Brien next week, potentially, uh, where you know, councils are just going to be given powers to buy up large swathes of properties. And yes, there may be ways in which there are uh, legislative amendments that can take account of all of the issues you listed there in terms of um, the roadblocks that exists. 
uh, in the system that prevent these properties from being used or have prevented these properties from being used up to now. Of course, one of the advantages, well, advantage, I, I use the term advisedly, at the start of COVID was it gave government a capacity to both be authoritarian and to centralise control and make the kind of decisions that were would normally require an awful lot of consultation and dissemination to get done. And that seems to be an issue coming in. We've had a couple of texts now along the lines of this one saying, read the Red Cross pledge. We have taken in a family directly as the Red Cross was taking too long to get in touch. When they contacted me seven weeks after lodging my pledge, I explained the reason and they said they would mark my accommodation as no longer available. There should be a separate category for this reason to give a more accurate picture as the stats that they now have must be a false narrative. Lots of host families had to do it themselves but are marked as unavailable housing in the stats. Now, whatever about the Red Cross stats out of that, you, that would suggest that this whole thing is lacking centralised control and anybody being in charge. Yeah, well, that's interesting, Anton. I, I hadn't heard that. And, and I suppose that, that that is something that needs to be explored a bit further as to whether some of these properties that are unavailable are actually because these households are already accommodating refugees. But I mean, the case remains that there is a shortage of accommodation for, for refugees coming into the country, which is why they're being put into sports halls and community centres and so on and so forth. So then I suppose that, as you say, that there is this debate that's begun this week about whether we need some sort of uh, refugees are uh, you know, which is probably not the apt word in, in the circumstances for this sort of person, given given what's going on. But certainly, um, you know, some sort of uh, figure at the centre of all this to deal with the various issues that are arising for refugees is something that's been put on the table by some commentators and some politicians as well this week. But I mean, I suppose, you know, we, we had this debate with the vaccination programme, whether we needed a vaccine minister when it came to COVID um, and, and get, you know, getting through the, the major vaccination programme, inoculating every eligible citizen in the state. Um, we didn't get one in the end. And I don't think, I don't detect any desire within government to move in that direction. This is seen as a sort of a whole of government problem. And there are already, already the structures in place that can deal with this. And do you get the sense? I mean, this is the thinking in government. There's a secretary's general group that meets every week, meets sometimes twice weekly and deals with all the issues as they come up. Does does it have, when you talk to the, the people around uh, government cabinet and, and the broader um, officialdom, do you get the sense that there is urgency about this? Because a lot of time has gone by since we knew that there was a refugee crisis on the way. And many of the problems that we are seeing detailed in your papers and in others are the same problems we had weeks, if not months ago. Um. I mean, you know, to, to be fair, Anton, I mean, this, this war began at the end of February. I mean, we're only uh, we're not even at the end of April at this point. I mean, I think there has been a response. I mean, you know, I, I think there's been a response of of, of considerable uh, mobilization of state resources to deal with this issue. There are there are issues that are turning up. But I mean, I think it's the same with any crisis where you're responding on the fly. You're not going to get everything right. And sometimes things take time. And I mean, I think. You know, the the, the the payment issue is is interesting in the sense that I, I asked the Taoiseach about this in Helsinki about uh, 10 days ago, and now we're, we're hearing that it could come to Cabinet as early as next week. That's that's pretty quick in government time. And so, I mean, I wouldn't be too hard on the government in that respect. I think the issue will be, as we get into the summer, if these issues that are emerging now are not addressed or there's no road, uh, there's no path to addressing them, that's, I think, when, when it might become a bit more difficult for the government to say, well, look, you know, where these things take time and so on and so forth. They're responding on the fly. We're, we're seven, six, seven weeks into this crisis and they have mobilized the states uh, to a great degree to try and address this issue. 
Um, but I mean that you know that look ultimately it'll come down to ensuring that every uh, refugee that arrives into the country uh, does get accommodation of some sort or another, and that if they're in placed in emergency accommodation, they're there no longer than two three weeks. If we have a situation in the summer where some refugees are in uh, camp beds and community halls for several months at that stage, I think that's going to be a major problem for the government. And the sort of questions that you're asking right now will be particularly pertinent and relevant at that stage. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. That's Hugh O'Connell, who is political correspondent with the Irish Independent. 